0: Welcome to Hakol Radio's Top 3 segment, where we discuss the top three news stories of the day. Hakol Radio, powered by the Muncie Mavaser and broadcasting live from Schlurco Studios in Muncie, New York. Number one. Israeli government ministers discussed on Sunday, July 30th, what has always been controversial plans to build electricity storage sites aimed to be used by from Jews who do not use electricity from the regular grid on Shabbos, since it's being produced and delivered by Jews on Shabbos. According to the Friday, July 28th report, the estimated cost of the project is 100 million shekel, roughly $27 million. Israeli Energy Minister Yisrael Katz said that the move would not increase electricity costs or taxes for the general public. In light of the technological development of storage facilities with the required capacity, there is an opportunity to provide a suitable alternative solution that will satisfy the needs of the Frum population and it is safer and cleaner," said the minister. The Energy Ministry has already received many requests from From communities and cities, including the city of Benebrak, to receive such energy storage units. Despite there being no additional cost to the general public, the plans have still come under intense criticism by opposition lawmakers. On Friday, Israel Beit Tenyu chairman Avigdor Lieberman said the plans are quote, more lunacy on the way to the halachic state. For 75 years, he said, all the righteous managed without kosher electricity, adding that the move comes at the expense of the middle class. The construction, he says, of electricity storage facilities combined with the high electricity rates during the week compared to the cheap rates on Shabbos will cost the citizens of Israel billions. But as stated by the governmental report before, this has been proven to be false. The electricity storage unit plans come up, came up when Pr- Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's right-wing and religious government was established in December. Channel 12 News reported at the time that the Kharedi UTJ, United Torah Judaism Party, was making far-reaching demands on applying religious standards to the public sphere in return for joining the coalition, including shutting down the entire country's power stations on Shabbos. Netanyahu attempted to assuage fears, saying at the time that the religious secular status quo would remain as it is. And vowed not to give in to demands to stop the production of electricity on Chavez. The push now is what some would classify as, quote, a more conservative approach to this problem, and the Netanyahu-led coalition are debating on how to address it. Number two. Earlier this month, President Joe Biden addressed the recent increase in violence in the refugee camps of Janine. After opining that the terrorist attacks against Israel were carried out by, quote, extremist elements among the Palestinians. The president added an interesting caveat that the terrorism was to some extent provoked by Israel's quote, extreme right-wing government. In other words, the president of the United States created a moral equivalence between Palestinian terrorists murdering Israeli citizens and the duly elected government of Israel trying to defend them, simply because Israeli politics are not to his liking. President Biden would do better to face the grim reality that the over $1 billion in taxpayer-funded foreign aid that his administration has poured into the Palestinian Authority and the United Nations programs propping it up over the last two and a half years has done nothing to improve the lives of the Palestinian people and has instead been diverted to fund the very terrorism for which he blames Israel. If President Biden refuses to recognize this fact, Congress will have to act to protect the American people from inadvertently funding attacks on one of our closest and most critical allies. Contrary to the Washington establishment's preconceived notions of what works in Israel, Trump-era policies proved that defunding the Palestinians for their venomous anti-American rhetoric and abuse of American funds to reward terrorists and their families does not in fact result in a significant spike in violence. This despite the theoretically incendiary corollary policies such as moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel to Yerushalayim and recognizing the Golan Heights as sovereign Israeli territory. Rather than stoking Palestinian violence, Trump's policies led to the first peace deals between Israel and Arab states in close to 25 years. Nonetheless, a top foreign policy priority for the Biden administration was to reverse this progress and restore Palestinian funding, starting with $15 million in emergency COVID relief aid in March 2021. This down payment was swiftly followed with larger sums such as $235 million in April 2021 to fund the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, the UNRWA, which President Biden proudly announced had ballooned into $316 million by July 2022. By the end of 2023, the administration will have provided more than $650 million to the Palestinians, with another $250 million requested for fiscal year 2024. While this funding was recently stripped out of the state and foreign operations bill by the House, Democrats in the Senate will almost certainly add it back in. All this money is supposedly intended to bolster the Palestinians quality of life, which would then reduce violence and increase the possibility of getting to the two-state solution to the conflict that Biden has long pursued. In reality, Biden's misguided policy has achieved almost the opposite of its aims. The last year has been the deadliest for both Israelis and Palestinians in decades. In Jenin, for example, which was the direct beneficiary of much of the UNRWA funding, the Palestinian Authority has lost security control and ceded space to Iranian-backed militants who packed the camp with fighters and weapons until the Israel Defense Forces moved in to clean them out. This intolerable threat, not the presence of Israel's long, longest-serving prime minister, is what prompted the biggest Israeli military action in the West Bank in 20 years, and the corresponding loss of life, unfortunately. Biden's insistence that Israel's provocations are to blame is disingenuous at best. At worst, it could be a self-inflicted blow to one of America's most important allies, needlessly damaging our interests in the Middle East and increasing the threat of terrorism right here in America. In addition to suggesting a moral equivalence between Israel and the Palestinians, President Biden also pettily refused to issue an invitation to Prime Minister Netanyahu to visit Washington, insisting instead that it was sufficient for Israel's symbolic head of state, President Yitzhak Herzog, to visit and address a joint session of Congress. Of course, given that Herzog served in the Knesset as Netanyahu's chief political opposition, And has no practical um, executive power this is yet another veiled insult to israel's prime minister which will encourage one of our most important allies to look elsewhere for support number three in a blatant attempt at subverting the rule of law the department of justice on shabbos july 29th moved for hunter biden's former business associate to be sent to prison on charges unrelated to the scandals of the president's son, just two days before high exposure testimony before a House committee. The U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York sent a letter to Judge Ronnie Abrams, asking her to schedule a date for Devin Archer, a longtime Hunter Biden business partner, to report to prison. A few days earlier, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals confirmed that Archer would serve a one-year sentence in the case of fraud, which he was convicted of in 2018. Archer is slated to testify to the House Oversight Committee, chaired by Republican Representative James Comer on Monday, July 31st, about his business dealings with Hunter Biden. The committee subpoenaed him in June. He's expected to shed light on the extent of President Biden's alleged involvement with Hunter's business engagements when Joe Biden was vice president between 2009-2017. and 2017. Matthew Schwartz, Archer's attorney, said he would file a formal response to the request from the Manhattan prosecutors by Wednesday. Archer still plans to appear on Capitol Hill on Monday. Some are alleging that the DOJ demand is scare tactic, meant to prevent Archer from testifying, but Schwartz dismissed these allegations. Starting in 2014, Archer worked with Hunter Biden on the board of Ukrainian natural gas firm Burisma Holdings. The peer also co-founded the investment firm Rosamond Seneca together, where Archer was managing director. Last week, the plea deal that Hunter Biden negotiated with the government derailed after a judge raised questions about the terms of the agreement. Republican critics have criticized the the agreement as too lenient, alleging that the DOJ prosecutors in the case were essentially in cahoots with Hunter Hunter Biden's defense team. The prosecution never filed an indictment against the president's son. And last Wednesday, U.S. District Judge Marilyn Norieka asked for clarification about two deals, a plea agreement concerning Hunter's unpaid taxes and a, quote, diversion agreement concerning his gun possession charge that required her adjudication. Norieka asked specifically what immunity Hunter would be granted in exchange for pleading guilty to two minor tax charges. She pointed out that the investigation in which Hunter is a subject and could be charged is ongoing. The agreement, she also noted, may contain at least one constitutionally objectionable term that the court should review before proceeding. Thanks for tuning in to the top three segment live on Hako Radio, and have a great day.